Turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. Our text today is Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Uh, last week, we explored faith in Jesus, seeing how faith receives Jesus' death and life as its own, how faith rests in Jesus' love, and how faith focuses more on the person of Jesus than on the benefits that he gives. Uh, this week, we are talking about the thing that always accompanies true faith, and that's repentance. We aren't talking about just mere words or a box check, but real, true repentance, which echoing Acts 11:18, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism calls repentance unto life. And to help us understand what it is and what it isn't, we're going to see the work, uh, we're going to see repentance at work with faith in the life of a man with whom I can identify on multiple levels. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, let's pray and ask God for his blessing on our study this morning. Let's pray. O oh God, who has taught us to keep all your heavenly commandments by loving you and our neighbor, Grant us the spirit of peace and grace, that we may be both devoted to you with our whole heart and united to each other with a pure will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Luke 19. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today... Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks. Praise be to you, O Christ. Uh, kids, uh, fifth grade and under, come on up and join me. So some of you may have seen this before, but, but today we're, we're talking about repentance again. Can you say repentance? Yeah. Repentance is one of those words that you might hear a lot, but maybe you aren't totally sure what it means. And so let's talk about that because it's what we see happening in the story about Zacchaeus. But, I, I, but to help you understand what repentance is, I want to show you what repentance is not. Now, these, um, these bubble, this bubble wrap belongs to Miss Tracy over here. And, and she uses bubble, this bubble wrap to, to you know, kind of wrap up fragile things uh, that she's mailing so that those things don't break. 
But what I like to do with bubble wrap is pop it. Uh, okay. Um, I said please don't pop those. I'm, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Oh, of course I'll forgive you, but just don't pop them, okay? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, uh, Sam, I really don't want to... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. All right, you kind of get the point, right? Repentance is more. It has to be more than just saying, I'm sorry, and, or just wanting to be forgiven, to, be a, to have things be calm and quiet again. It has to be more than that. Because if I say those things, if I say I'm sorry, and I have no intention, no desire of stopping, then you know that my heart is not really interested in in loving her well by doing what she's asked. Uh, real repentance begins with an understanding that I actually did something wrong. I actually did something wrong. Uh, something that not only broke a rule, but, but was breaking the heart of the person who made that rule. When I realize that, I'll, I'll actually be sad that I sinned. I'll, I'll feel that feeling. I'll, I'll hate that sin, and I don't want to do it again. And, and then real repentance keeps going to turn away from doing it, from keeping on going, back to the person that I wronged, so that our relationship can actually be fixed, right? But we're only going to turn away from sin and back to the person that we've wronged if we really believe that they will forgive us, that they won't hold, us against, hold it against us. And, and God gives us that exact hope in Jesus. He gives us more than we hope for because Jesus already died to pay for that sin. It, Jesus opened the way for us to go back to God when he died for us. And, and so whenever God shows us that we've done something wrong, something that breaks his heart, he invites us to run back to him. We should agree with him that the thing that we did was wrong. And because Jesus is better, having Jesus is better than any sin that we might do, we should turn away from all those things again and again if we have to and keep turning back to him, trusting that his sacrifice on the cross, his blood covers our sins. And then we should try to stay close to him, right? We should listen to him and try to do what he says is best. The truth is, you and I are going to have to do that again and again every day because we are weak and we sin really easily. But Jesus is always ready to receive the people who come back to him, who turn away from sin to him. And because he welcomes us back every single time, that's another reason we call this good news. Do you believe it? Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seats. Thanks, Tracy. Please do turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel. The, the story of salvation that we're reading here, uh, salvation coming to Zacchaeus' house, it fits within Luke's larger section about Jesus journeying to Jerusalem. Back in, in chapter 9, Jesus set his face 
to go there, knowing the cross that awaited him. But along the way, he's been teaching people about the kingdom of God and and showing people what it looks like when God reigns. And, And in response to him, a lot of people want to hear and see Jesus. But those responses to him are often hot or cold. Throughout Luke's Gospel, we've seen many outcasts eagerly coming to Jesus. He is received by the hungry and poor and sick and lame, by women and children who are the most marginalized and vulnerable. Even a Roman centurion is one of the first to show real faith in Jesus, an outsider. Even notorious sinners and tax collectors, a group who you understand had earned a special kind of hatred from their fellow Jews, These people were coming to Jesus eager to hear about the kingdom of God that was open even to messed up people like them. All of these outcasts are coming to Jesus. He welcomes them, and they are changed. But there were others who listened to Jesus and follow him around and yet have a very different response to him. They are offended by Jesus because he is pointing out how their inside does not match their outside. Uh, Outside, he says, they offer a show of being clean, but inside, Jesus says, inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Uh, Ever since he said that, the Pharisees have been trying to catch Jesus saying something that they can use against him. And and as time goes on, they only harden toward Jesus, despising him and what he's doing, so that by Luke 15, they are grumbling at how Jesus welcomed tax collectors and sinners, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, here in Luke 19, we hear another story about Jesus receiving a sinner, or rather... Jesus asking a sinner to receive him. And for this encounter in Jericho, Luke goes into great detail to show us what happens when a sinner receives Jesus and enters the kingdom of God. But in this story, we see how an encounter with Jesus will never leave a person the same. Coming face to face with him will either turn a person toward Jesus, toward his kingdom, or will confirm, at least for the time being, that that person remains outside of the kingdom. Uh, When we talk about turning toward Jesus and the kingdom of God, we're, we're talking about what the Bible calls repentance. And it is vital that we both understand it and practice it, because repentance and faith in Jesus always go hand in hand. They are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. Faith is the instrument through which we embrace Jesus, receiving Him and resting in Him. We talked about that last week. But repentance is that change of heart that leads to a change in direction. Repentance means we stop running away from God and run to Him instead. The Westminster Shorter Catechism Catechism asks in question 87, what is repentance unto life? And again, it's pulling from Acts 11 to make a distinction between true repentance and a worldly, superficial sorrow. 
And it answers this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of their sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. As usual, there's a lot going on in the Catechism's answer. Calling repentance a saving grace tells us that, like faith itself, real repentance is actually a gift from God. Just as we can't work faith in Jesus up in ourselves, neither can we truly change our hearts and our wrong behaviors on our own. Repentance, then, is a part of what God does in a person when He is saving them. But to understand the rest of the definition about how repentance begins and what it does, we're going to explore Zacchaeus' story through a few questions. First, what motivates repentance? What motivates repentance? Second, what does repentance look like? What does repentance look like? And third, what is the goal? What's the goal of repentance? First, think about what motivates repentance. And to understand that, I want you to look at Zacchaeus in verse 2. He was a chief tax collector and rich, which is to say he was hated. Because as chief tax collector, Zacchaeus symbolized the authority of the Roman government that was taking the people's money and actively oppressing them. Now, according to John the baptizer who taught tax collectors about repentance, it was actually possible for a person to do that job in a faithful way. He he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Most of them, it seemed, did not listen to John. Instead, they unscrupulously collected far more than they should have. So not only were they perceived as traitors collaborating with the oppressors, but they were greedy traitors who grew rich off of their own kin. And Zacchaeus was chief, chief among those greedy greedy traitors. But but look at verse 8. Look there. Now, this is where Zacchaeus is already turning, but I want you to see that he must have already understood that something was wrong in his life. Because without a word from Jesus, Zacchaeus is able to identify clearly one of the places where his heart had been oriented away from God. Zacchaeus, and it has to do with his wealth, Zacchaeus speaks both of his goods and what he has defrauded from others. He is aware that he has been doing what he should not have done. He has has been taking more than he should have. And he is also aware of failing to do what he should have done. He has not lived a generous life toward others. The Shorter Catechism, we we said, it, it talks about a sinner being motivated to repent out of a true sense of their sin. That is, a person is able to look at themselves and recognize that there are things in me that are deeply wrong. 
And those things are wrong, not just because culture or family says that they're wrong, but because God says that it's wrong. Most people are aware, I think, most people are aware that something isn't right in them. Because they live in God's world, they've probably heard at least whispers, rumors of God's word about how things are supposed to be and how they shouldn't be. But even if people haven't heard, every person that you meet is made in the image of God. Even, though, even if they don't believe that, they can't escape it. And so although they might not be able to articulate the ways sin has distorted and shattered the image of God in them, most people still feel it. Most people will say that they aren't what they want to be. Most people want to be different than they are. That's motivation for repentance, but it's not enough. While having a true sense of one's sin is motivation for repentance, real repentance doesn't stop there. There is a second motivation that is equally important. It's what the Catechism calls an apprehension, a seeing, a recognizing, a grasping of the mercy of God in Christ. In other words, seeing one's own sin isn't enough to motivate us to change, not real change, but when we see the mercy of God in the person of Jesus, when we see that Jesus won't give us what our sins actually deserve, that grace has the, has the power to motivate real change. I mean, think about this. In Zacchaeus' story, why do you think Zacchaeus was so eager to see Jesus? In verse 3, we hear that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Why? Admittedly, we are not told explicitly, but, but the word about what Jesus has been saying and doing, that word had been spreading like wildfire all over the region. Jesus, Jesus has been unequivocal. He, he has not hedged anything about how deadly, how wrong sin is for us. He's warned people, saying, take care, be on guard against uh, all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But at the same time, as we've already heard, by this time, Jesus has also gotten a reputation for himself as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus has even called a tax collector, Levi, to be one of the 12 disciples who stayed with him. And so having heard about Jesus, a holy man who is obviously sent from God, but who hangs out with sinners, having heard about Jesus, Zacchaeus is motivated to see him. He is aware of his own sin, but he's also aware that God's mercy has appeared in Jesus. And so he isn't going to let something like his short stature keep him away. The, the crowd could block his view from the ground, but hey, look, there's a tree that I can climb. And why should a concern for his own dignity prevent him, a grown man, from climbing it? Yes, he risks embarrassment, maybe getting some laughs from the people who saw him. But he just might gain he just might gain a glimpse of this friend of sinners 
And maybe, somehow, he can experience the same mercy that others have found in him. This second motivation, seeing the mercy of God in the face of Jesus, this is what keeps sinners from being stuck in mere sorrow over sin. This is what actually gives us legs to run to Jesus. Because if a person sees their sin only, they can only despair. But if they see Jesus, see in him that a holy God may yet still be a friend of sinners, then hope can come alive. Because although our sin has made a separation between God and us, he himself is bridging the gap in the person of his son. And I think Zacchaeus understands that in part. But for you and me, we know that the cross of Christ is the way that God bridged the infinite chasm between us and him. In the body, in his own flesh uh, of, of the crucified Christ, we see how seriously God takes sin. But we also see how merciful God is toward sinners. Because Jesus lovingly gave himself for us justice, as we often sing, justice smiles and asks no more of us. This is the way that God can welcome sinners and not give us what we deserve. It, it's because Christ already took it on the cross. Though, uh, though the cup of God's wrath was ours, Jesus himself drank it to the dregs so that there would be nothing left for his people to drink. And so when you think about repentance... Make sure that you're not thinking only about what's wrong in you. Paul speaks of a kind of worldly sorrow that leads to death, not life. But if you would really repent, think too that God has not left us to ourselves. Though our souls all be short in stature. Even so, we may seek Jesus with confidence, trusting that he came for people like us. And so when God is saving a person, he makes us aware both of our sin and the mercy that is available to us through Jesus. In this way, God meets sinners exactly where we are in our sin. But God never leaves us as he finds us. And so let's ask the second big question. When God is saving a person, what does repentance look like? What does repentance look like? When Zacchaeus joyfully brings Jesus home, Zacchaeus stands in, in verse 8 and he says to the Lord, Look there, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. As I said earlier, this indicates that Zacchaeus already knew the love, that love of money was a problem for him. It had controlled Zacchaeus up to this point. He served wealth with his whole self. But now that he is with Jesus, or, or rather now that Jesus is with him, now he is turning away from what he once loved and turning toward the Lord, seeking both to remedy the wrongs that he has done, and live a new kind of life altogether. He, he can remedy the wrong that he had done 
uh, of taking too much money from folks by not only repaying what was stolen, but adding to it. This was actually the law under the Old Testament, the law for thieves. This is justice. And Zacchaeus doesn't try to get out from under it. He welcomes it. It, The truly repentant person does not try to avoid right consequences. But his repentance, look how it runs even deeper than this. You can observe the change in him as he begins to live in line with the kingdom of God that he has entered. Our God gives generously to those in need. And so Zacchaeus gives generously to those in need too. He gives half of all of his possessions. This isn't just the stuff that he had accumulated wrongly. This includes everything that he had earned, honestly. And this deep change in Zacchaeus shows us the transformative nature of repentance. Because as another puts it, the true repentance goes beyond the expression of regret or streams of tears. It produces something. We can see it and observe it. Zacchaeus' actions reveal that his repentance and faith are genuine. He wants to make right what he had done wrong. And his generosity is exactly what you would expect from a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. And so this is what the Shorter Catechism is talking about when it speaks of turning from sin with grief and hatred of it, but turning to God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. And and this is not a one-time event for a believer. It's an entirely new way of living. This is part of what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, because you know that even after we begin to trust in Him, it's not as if sin is suddenly and totally removed from us. As we heard last week, coming to Christ in faith means receiving His death and His life as our own. If you have come to Christ, then you have already died to sin. It has no power over you. But as Paul says in Romans 7, a believer may have died to sin, but sin has not died to us. And in this flesh, we will wrestle with it. And that means repentance must be a regular part of our discipleship. And so briefly, I want us to notice a few aspects of what real repentance looks like. It, it starts with grief over sin and hatred of sin. But it can be hard to tell the difference sometimes between what Paul calls godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. As he says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, the, the latter, that worldly sorrow, only leads to death, but a godly sorrow leads to life. Well, in a tremendously helpful article from the Journal of Biblical Counseling, Darby Strickland offers this help. And I can connect you to this article if you like. She writes, Real repentance will feature godly sorrow rather than worldly sorrow. It will be evident as a change in both the offender's mind and actions. Godly sorrow is directed toward God and produces outward and inward changes that lead to true repentance. But in contrast, in contrast, worldly sorrow is directed 
toward ourselves. We regret our actions for the effect that they have on us and the consequences that we face, but it produces no godly change. In other words, the directionality of that sorrow is how you can tell the difference. Worldly sorrow is so focused on self that it can't see. It can't see how it has wounded God's heart and the hearts of other people too. There, there may be lots of words, there may be lots of tears, but they are all spoken and shed over self. How what was done has affected them will be the dominant theme of their words. But godly sorrow, Godly sorrow over sin looks to God and moves toward God in heart and in action. There is a greater concern for God's honor and the harm that's done to others than for any consequences that are coming to them. And so when real repentance is happening, this grief and hatred of sin, together with seeing the mercy of God in Christ, it, it leads a sinner to turn away from the sin toward God, with a full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. In, in other words, the sinner seeks to live in line with God's words, to live in the new life that Jesus gives when he brings salvation to our house. Uh, here I, I would go back to, to Darby Strickland again. She helps us understand how this looks in practice. In the same article, she unpacks various passages to illustrate what repentance is not, as well as what repentance looks like. Uh, we'll only hit these briefly, so come and talk to me later if you want to talk about this more. What repentance is not? Repentance is not a mere apology. Repentance is not the fear of consequences. Repentance is not even a promise to do better. Repentance is not partial. Repentance does not avoid taking responsibility or taking action. But what does re real repentance actually look like? Where there is real repentance, the offender recognizes that the offense is against God. The offender agrees with Scripture's indictment of his or her sin. The offender's confession is going to offer specifics. The offender recognizes that it's actually God's grace that allows us to turn. In real repentance, the offender is going to possess a strong desire, imperfect desire maybe, but still a strong desire to dismantle, to take apart, to put to death the old sinful self. They don't think of repentance as a one-time event, but as a new way to live. And they are persistent in that pursuit of holiness. We, we, you know, we see the opposite in the Pharisees. They wanted the position of righteousness before God. But they didn't want to take up their cross. And they didn't want to perpetually die to self. And that helps us understand that in the heart of the real repentant, the fear and the love of the Lord is only going to be increasing. 
they, they're going to acknowledge the specific effect of his or her sin on all the lives that it touched because they're going to understand what a big deal sin actually is. It's never some little isolated thing. It always has ripple effects. It always hits like a tsunami in the lives of other people. There's one other mark of real repentance that I think is significant. The offender, the one who has done the wrong, where there is real repentance happening, they will be patient while others verify their repentance. They're going to know that it takes time to rebuild trust. And they're going to be patient while they wait. Now, I I do want to be clear here. It is rare and it is difficult for a, a person's real repentance to be so deep so quickly. Even true repentance is often shallow at first, especially when the sin was deep or grievous. It's imperfect because sin so blinds a sinner that it often takes time for them to understand the harm that they have done. But for those who have suffered harm or, or those who are helping the sinner work out their repentance, we must not say that what is shallow or imperfect is not real. Uh, grace and patience are required. But even so, wisdom is also required. Uh, Again, Strickland writes that there might come a time where you realize an offender's commitment to sin, deception, and self-protection is more significant to them than the desire to change and love the Lord. And yet, even here, I want to offer one final word of of caution. Even here, as individuals, we must be careful. It is easy for us to come to a conclusion about somebody else. But to call a person unrepentant, to call another believer unrepentant, is not the job of one individual, but rather the long, careful work of the church. Time hastens on. So at this point, I want to go back to Zacchaeus' story. I want to ask this one last question. What is the goal? What's the goal of repentance? Uh, From our perspective, repentance is often uh, simply about change. It's turning from sin and turning to God, receiving Jesus and resting in Him. We we not only believe in Him, but we also pursue obedience to Him. And when we fail again, we return to Him in faith again, repenting again and pursuing new obedience to Him again. This is simply... The Christian way to live in this present age. It's the path that we see Zacchaeus beginning to walk. But in his story, I I don't want us to miss God's goal for repentance. It's clear that he has one because he has been the one who has been orchestrating this whole thing. Yes, in verse 3, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. But in verse 10, Jesus says, He, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And and as he himself stops under that tree, 
Zacchaeus was in and calls Zacchaeus by name and says, I must, he expresses the divine necessity of his arrangement. I must come to your house today, must stay at your house today. In all of this, Jesus was showing us that he, he himself, was the one that was looking for Zacchaeus all along. To turn his heart away from wealth and to show him that God had provided a better Savior. Because God was doing this, Jesus was doing this, because it is through repentance that God can do what is impossible for men. Just, just before, just before we meet Zacchaeus, Jesus had said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But here Jesus celebrates with Zacchaeus that salvation has come to his house. It, you understand God's goal for repentance, the reason why he gives it to us is because it is part of the gift of salvation itself. It can't be separated from faith. Because faith with repentance is God's way both of dealing with our sin and leading us into new life. By, by faith in Jesus, we, we receive him and rest in him. But through repentance, God is transforming our minds and our hearts so that we can live with him in his kingdom. In other words, God's goal for our repentance is nothing less than getting us ready for the new creation for eternal life in God's kingdom, where knowing Him is life, and life itself. And His good laws are the path to the good life. For you and me today, this means walking the path of faith with repentance every day until we get to that new creation. As another says, a Christianity that gets you into heaven while allowing you to live however you want here on earth that is a Christianity that is foreign to the New Testament. The gospel changes who you are. And then it also changes what you do. By faith in Jesus, we have become the children of God. And through repentance, we pursue a life of imitating our Father as well as Christ, our brother. If you are not walking the path of repentance every day, then you must understand that no person is ever neutral toward God. It, it's been said that our hearts are either hardening against God or growing softer toward Him. Uh, we see that kind of hardening uh, in the people grumbling against Jesus when they should have been celebrating with Him in Zacchaeus' house. But what about you? Is your heart hard? Set in its ways? Unyielding? How's that going for you? Where is it leading you? But if the Lord has given you eyes to see his mercy in the face of Jesus, if you know your sin and you hate it, if you see Jesus as a better Savior than all the other things that still tug at your heart, then turn to him again. Go to him with words of confession. Add to them actions so that others can see and help you walk this path. Because you know it's not easy to walk this alone. Don't let embarrassment 
Don't let embarrassment keep you from climbing your tree to see Jesus. But don't be surprised when he sees you and he calls you by your name and he invites himself over for supper again because he came for this, remember? He came to seek and to save the lost. And if that's you again today, then take heart. The Lord is looking for you. And because he is always going after his own to turn our hearts back toward him. That's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? Amen. Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you for your kindness to sinners like us, that you are always going after your lost sheep. And when you find us, you pick us up and you put us on your shoulders and you go back to the 99 that didn't wander off and you throw a party. You rejoice and all the angels in heaven with you. So, Father, rejoice over us as we come to you in repentance and cause us to be the kind of people who rejoice at the repentance of others because we see in it the goodness of you, our God, the faithfulness of Jesus, our Savior, who loved us and gave himself for us. We see the work of your Spirit because this only comes from you. And so may we be people who live by faith and repentance every day until we see you face to face. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord and for his sake. Amen.